in the prime minister's uh, office, we've had a special kind of team or a unit for experimental Finland. We have tried to create and increase the awareness of experimenting because it's also a kind of a, how would I say, a very sexy word. It's used a lot these days. Hello, I'm Mark Foden. You've just heard Oli Pekka Heinonen, who's the star of the show today. In addition to the sexiness of experimenting, we talk about getting ministers to care about complexity, work on the introduction of basic income in Finland, and phenomena-based education. As it turned out, and you'll perhaps hear it in his voice, when we recorded this, Oli Pekka was going down with the flu. Hat off to him, though. It's a great conversation, despite the circumstances. So, welcome once more to The Clock and the Cat, exploring the emerging topic of complexity, ultimately to help you be more effective whatever you're involved with. If you're new to the podcast, it might help to go back to episode one for a seven-minute introduction. As ever, we regulars will wait for you. If you went away, welcome back. Here I am with Oli Pekka Heinonen. Following the recent international clock-cat theme, Oli Pekka is in Finland, but I'm still looking after business here near London. Oli Pekka is the Director General of the National Agency for Education in Finland, which means he's responsible for running primary and secondary education for the whole of Finland. He's been in public service for 30 years, both as a senior politician and a civil servant. He's been the State Secretary in the Prime Minister's Office and has had a variety of cabinet roles. He's also been the TV Director in the Finnish National Broadcasting Company. Oli Pekka is a complexity enthusiast, speaks regularly about organisational change and is involved in leadership coaching. He got in touch with me after hearing mention of Finland on the podcast, and he's generously offered to talk about what's going on there. So let's get on with it. Oli Pekka, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Very pleased to be here. I ask this of everyone. Tell us about how you first got involved with complexity. Well, I think it was when I was a minister in the Finnish government, and I was a member in a ministerial group that was going through all the administrational reforms that were done in this in the kind of state organizations and there was a lot of them they were all organizational changes and it started to puzzle me that why we were making all those organizational changes what was the aim behind them and that was very hard to find And usually there were changes that you would just put the boxes in an other order and that's it. And that kind of started to puzzle me. And then I went to studying organizational theory and there I pumped into the systems theory and from there on to complexity thinking. And that's the road where I'm on. So where so how long ago was that? That was from 1994 on. I was a minister for eight years. Oh, so that's quite a long time then, isn't it? Did you um, think about particular um, complexity theorists? Did uh, whose books did you read, or did you meet any of them? Or I think for some reason I bumped into Dave Snowden's Kinefin model, um, and I've since met him. A couple of times myself, uh, but there were kind of very large variety of people that had an in a kind of influence on my thinking on complexity. Eve Middleton Kelly uh, was what well, was definitely one of them. 
And then, of course, the Peter Seng's kind of learning organization ideas were very close to me. And, and, and there were kind of a, a lot of people and then quite strongly connected also to kind of with holistic thinking like Edgar Morin is a French scientist and Alfonso Montuori from the States who's been kind of thinking about wholeness in the creative environments and so on. Uh, so how did this new thinking change how you do things? The reason why I started to get deeper into complexity thinking was because it made a lot of sense to me. It made me understand why certain things don't function the way that we would like them to function. And I think complexity thinking is such a fundamental way of looking at the world that once you have put those I-classes on, you can't see the world the old way anymore. And I think that's what's happened to me, that complexity thinking and system thinking is something that that that's the way how I kind of sense the world um, kind of in 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 all situations when do you when was the first time you think that complexity thinking impacted on your work I uh, that is you did something differently as a result. So, I mean, you were saying that it, it changed your view on the world. Can can you can you point to something that happened that you that you did differently, um, ha- having had this, um, having gained this understanding? Well, I think it was probably when I was working as a television director in the Finnish national broadcasting company. What it affected there was the question that how we internally developed our own organization and the, and the working culture there, but also how to create added value to the citizens who were utilizing our content, whether it's kind of visual or audio content and how we link ourselves in the production with the citizens for whom we are doing things. I think there that was the first time that that I really kind of started implementing complexity ideas into practice. So what do so what did you do? What what we did is that we stopped actually making organizational changes and we started to see how the work works. Making a television program, for example, involves very many special types of expertise. And and, and usually they are done so that um, some people are involved in the beginning and others at the end. But that was a kind of a frustrating way for everybody, actually, because the ones who were in the beginning of the process involved were kind of saying that ones that are coming in at the later parts don't understand what they are doing and vice versa. So everybody was blaming each other and we were not utilizing the abilities of, of, of every, everybody. 
So, so that was kind of one thing we did. Another thing we did was that, that the question that for whom we were doing the programs and the people in the company were saying that, well, we are doing the programs for people like ourselves, that we are typical Finnish people. And, and if we do programs for ourselves, then that's fine. But then we made a survey that compared to the attitudes and values of the Finnish society and Finnish people, how the people working in the company, how their values and attitudes compared and the people in the company, their attitudes represented about 9% of Finnish people. So we were making programs for 9% of Finns. And then understanding that you have to get into contact with people to understand that how diversified needs and interests there are in a society, it entirely changed the way of, of broadcasting and looking at for whom we are doing the programs. So how did, how did the sort of complexity thinking um, affect that? Because you could say that we're going to do a survey of what our uh, what our citizens need we're going to then change our programming uh, on on that to reflect that that sounds like a fairly kind of standard approach so can you say how the complexity thinking changed things of course the idea that that we know that what are the programs we need to do and then you broadcast it from one point to everybody and they are the ones who are receiving it it's a kind of a top-down, very linear way, and also a very a, a stable way of looking at creating added value. And what we did is actually that we involved ourselves with the audience, and not the audience, but actually with the individuals, and connected them into the process of making the programs which means that we we had all all the time to adapt ourselves to the diversified needs that they were out there. Okay, so how did you do that? What mechanisms did you involve them over social media? Did you invite them to studios? What what, what did you do? All of that. Uh, we used both qualitative and quantitative methods, and and what our program makers, producers, everybody involved in the process did that actually we went to the Finnish people's homes. We asked that if we could come and discuss with them and the those people wrote their diary to us for two weeks telling that what are their kind of ambitions and dreams and values and style of life. And, and through that, we tried to increase the understanding um, and the adaptation to the reality of the Finnish society. So that must have been quite a, a dramatically different way of working for the people who worked in the, in the TV company. Was it hard to make that change? It was very hard. It was very hard that there was... Uh, there was in the beginning not much understanding of it because there was the idea that we are the experts and we know. And you had to find the hard 
evidence first to show that that's not true, that there was this kind of cognitive dissonance that had to be created. And only after that was there, then you had to show that there can be a better way of doing quality programs. And that was the involvement and adaptation part that we, t- we took into use. And of course, it's a, it's a pretty much an identity question for the program makers. And, and once you're dealing with chains and identity issues, you cannot do it from outside. But it, it's an inner process that a kind of must happen so that the, the people themselves get the motivation to do things differently. And that's very challenging. Mm. So um, you came back to government after you finished with the um, the the TV company. What happened then? I mean, how did you use that experience when you came back to government? Well, I think the big thing was that also in Finland, we had the challenge. I was kind of chairing the meeting of all permanent secretaries of all ministries. And, and the ministries were very siloed in their activities. What I was seeing was that there was kind of so much added value lost in the walls and silos of those different ministries that we could not utilize. Pretty often complexity is seen as something that is difficult and and something that is, uh, how would I say, uh, confusing. The word has many connotations. But to me, it's something that is making things easier because you make those connections that should be there, you make them visible. And you have a more holistic view of for whom and what we're doing and that we should do it together. Because we are faced with the today's and tomorrow's wicked problems. And there's no organization that can alone tackle them. But we must see that we must work together and, and not only adapt to ourselves, but be part of the change that we're trying to achieve. Yeah, so ex- exactly. I mean, I think about this quite a lot. I mean, if you're dealing with particularly complex situations, then it's quite straightforward, really. You start by connecting with people and working out together um, what you need to do. And that's kind of releasing, isn't it? It's because you're not going to have to go away, work out a, a big program and then uh, and then come back and give a big presentation saying, hey, this is how it's going to go. And then everyone uh, pick it apart and so on. So it, it, I think it's actually easier working this way. Exactly. I think it's the same way. And, and, and I'm sure that there will be a moment in the future that we're saying that how in earth could have could could it be so that that we were functioning in in these silos and departments and units entirely separated from each other that that's kind of insane that we've done it that why didn't we make it much much easier that's absolutely the case here in the uk so tell us how have things changed over the past few years have you managed to get away from this siloed approach in government? Well, we're talking about power, of course. 
when when we're talking about also the silos and for that reason the thing that i felt responsible as the state sector in the prime minister's office was to um, create enough trust among the people holding power that they could let go of part of their power to get better results and better added value working together. And and that was something that what we did actually was that we created a kind of a shared development program where we together, not so that somebody taught us, but as kind of learning together that how we could in a better way tackle the the complex problems and and that's one thing that has helped so there's a lot of kind of bottom up activity also today in the different ministries younger and older civil servants who are saying that we don't want to work the way we've done earlier we want to kind of work more in a more collaborative way more together more kind of citizen involvement and and they are driving the chains at the moment um, how would i say the bureaucratic ethos is or used to be very strong also in finland that the civil servant must know the right answers and then it's uh, from top down using power or or race ratio to implement it but now there is another kind of culture that has been created being ready to experiment where actually the experimentation as such is the most important part that what happens there and 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 what we can learn from that does this happen across finnish government is is every government department starting to use experimentation to solve its problems rather than upfront policy making I would say that it, it's going across, uh, and there is kind of a couple reasons for that. We we uh, and I was kind of responsible of it. We organized also a a day for all the ministers to discuss the issues of of wicked problems and complexity, and actually they were thrilled with it. It, it was a very good day. And they were all very happy and they found a good tone in their discussions. And it also ended up so that in the government program, which is really the kind of national strategy for four years in Finland, there was a a part of reinventing government where the experimentation had a very strong emphasis. Can I just interrupt you for a second, Oli Pange? You, yes. uh, I'm fascinated by this uh, workshop you were talking about. I, th- I assume it was a workshop you're talking about. So um, wh- where you talked about the complexity ideas. So who who was at the workshop and w- when was it? And could you tell us a bit more about that, what happened? Yeah, it was... a. Uh, um... It was the first workshop was probably in 2014, I would say. And it was organized so that in order to have a kind of a 
a trustful discussion. It was only the ministers in the government that who took part. So all the ministers in government? All the ministers in government were involved. And then we... That's, imp- that's impressive. Yeah, sure. And, and we brought in some uh, people from the research sector to tell what kind of complexity is all about, what the wicked problems are, then how they are connected to the, to the kind of big issues on the government's agenda. And as I said, the, the, the ministers were really thrilled about it. They, they really enjoyed their time. And, and, and I also saw that that was that sense-making feeling that they had after that day. So you just got, uh, you, you got some uh, people from the uh, you know, compl- experts in complexity and you stood them up in front of the ministers and these people explained it and the ministers heard this and it resonated with them and that just changed how things happened from that day on. Is that right? Was it just a, a, a great shining of light? Is that what happened? I would say that it was a starting point that after that, uh, the kind of critical mass has been growing all the time. So there's been much, much more discussion, much, much more articles um, about complexity in, in Finland. And, and it's, it's kind of referred to in, in, in many discussions the, the concept of wicked problems. It's quite, quite uh, strongly used in Finland. And as I said, the making change through experimentation was kind of one part of that same change. And also having this developmental courses for all leading civil servants in the government, we have organized those and, and, and complexity has played a very central role during those courses. Oh, well, that's interesting because um, the, the Singapore, I was in Singapore uh, a couple of years ago and at the Complexity Institute there. And every civil servant in Singapore goes through this course and there's a lot of stuff about complexity in it. And uh, the politicians and the senior civil servants all understand complexity in a way that um, they, quite honestly, I just don't believe the uh, folks do here in the UK. So that. That's really encouraging. Yes, it is. I think that also the thing that it was kind of tackled in the government program had a strong impact there. And and of course, the main reason is that we're seeing also in Finland that if we are trying to tackle our challenges the traditional way, we don't get them done. Obviously, the experimenting thing is absolutely vital. Can you tell us a story about where you've used experimentation and about where it's made a difference? Well, in the in the prime minister's office, we've had a special kind of a, a team or a unit for experimental Finland, and and what we've done is that we have tried to create and increase the awareness of experimenting because it's also a kind of a how would i say a very sexy word that it's used a lot these days and the interpretations about what this is all about vary a lot right, understood. so we wanted to increase the kind of deeper understanding 
of of experimenting and and also the other thing was that we encourage quite actually i would say radical experiments on the not non-radical level on the on the local level to learn the way of changing things through action not first thinking and then changing the action but first acting and changing the thinking through action and and that has been the other part of the the work on experimenting and the third one has been doing some some policy experimentations where probably the experimentation with the basic income has been one of the most important ones then we have had experiments with the digitalization and and municipalities uh, and and there were actually seven of these kind of policy level national level experiments that were done by the former uh, government. So that's one of those was basic income was it? One of them was basic income. And yes. how, how did that how did that go? What happened as a result? Well, uh, the the question was of course that that was of interest was that how does it affect the choices that people are making and 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 what what kind of motivational impact the basic income would have I think it's a very challenging area of experimenting because there are so many factors. It's such a complex situation to look at. But what we found out was that the idea that if people would get basic income, they would just get lazy and stay home wasn't true. The The idea that, that it encouraged to also uh, to strengthen your abilities to get back to working life, for example, and to to kind of stay active, uh, was very strong with the people taking part in the experiment. So, when did this experiment take place? Uh, it took place probably from the year twenty sixteen on. Okay, so that's quite a long time ago. So what's happened since? What, 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 what's the situation? How widespread is basic income now? Well, it's, it rose the awareness in the discussions about basic income, but of course it's a very strong political value issue still in Finland. And, 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 and at the moment there are no kind of political decisions right. um, done with basic income in Finland. So experimenting, particularly with government policy, you come up against the issue, uh, you come up against the challenges of the law, and you might want to be experimenting with something that's actually outside the law. So, have you got yeah. any examples of how you've tackled that? Uh, yes, actually, that that's quite often the challenge. That once we want to experiment something, it's against the legislation. What we've done is that we have tried to make it very easy to make kind of legislative changes to make experimenting possible. So we've made a kind of a guidebook that what should be done in order to uh, enable experimentation through legislation. 
and 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 that of course has kind of helped the process so do you have some legislation about that uh that pr- provides you to experiment with legislation if you see what if you see what i mean uh yes we do yes we do you cannot create or not according to finnish constitution you cannot create a general experimentation legislation right but you have to kind of specify that w- what are the things that you're going to change in the in the existing legislation but what we've done is that that we've done it so easy as possible and we've also involved the parliament on this the parliament has been very active on experimenting we have a we have a futures committee in the parliament in finland and and they've created a big report together um about kind of experimenting culture and there are also reflections about the legislation so i would say that that there's a preparedness in the finnish society to to experiments that are go against the existing legislation also so that is to me that sounds really advanced it's just the sort of thing that we need to be doing here do you know have you been able to share what you've been doing with um other nations uk for example uh yes there are certain international networks that that i myself um quite active and and through those networks we it's a constant sharing and learning uh, issue we are doing and like for example a political is one of them where i've been pretty involved and there's also a network uh, where we meet once a year with top civil servants around the world oecd is quite often also involved where we share our experiences with free thinking the government for the future and i would say that my feeling is that there is a lot of similar activities happening around the world oh really so what but what... still it's not the kind of, well, well i think you can you can find excellent examples in in all continents with and also with kind of complexity thinking uh but but they are kind of they are kind of not the mainstream <laughs> but but they are experiments themselves and they are kind of individual people or individual units that are really getting it once you're sharing with it with others um there is also kind of your understanding gets better and there's a growing critical mass in public service taking these ideas in concrete measures forward so uh, what's the forum for this is there an organization or is it um, an informal network or or what it is a kind of an informal network certain organizations also taking part on the network there are certain countries that have been very active on 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 this networking singapore being one of them australia UK has been involved one of the meetings was actually uh, happened uh, in collaboration with the Chatham House I was um, close to London and and now we will be meeting in May in in uh, close Paris So Chatham House I think is a think tank isn't it in London 
Um, so, so I imagine that quite a few think tanks yes. are interested in this kind of stuff. Um, but what about actual government? Have you had any um, connection with our parliament, for example? Uh, yes, there are certain people that have been active in that network from from UK also. Quite often they come from the close to prime minister's office that they are there. And of course, there's the special motivation to have a more whole of government approach. And in doing that, uh, I think complexity thinking can be very useful. Just turning to different subjects, Oli Paket, you've been involved in education for, for quite a while now. Um, how is complexity affecting uh, education in Finland? Well, it's uh, it, it's it's kind of it's connected with the education system in very many ways. So the same thing that we were talking about the siloed structure in government, you can also say that in a way the school subjects is one way of kind of reductionism, which is the opposite of complexity to my mind. So you're talking about dividing up the subject into uh, maths, English, English, Finnish, whatever, and uh, delivering them as separate things. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And then what you're missing is that all these different subjects, which are based actually on different scientific disciplines, they are views, different viewpoints to the same reality. But if you do the division to different subjects too strong, then the pupils and students cannot see that what are the connections between kind of different subjects. We have created in Finland of course, these transversal competencies, which is something that unites all the subjects, but also if a way of teaching which is called problem-based or project-based or phenomena-based learning, where you start with a phenomena and you give the pupils a lot to say that how they want to get into that phenomena, what they are interested in, and then you bring the different viewpoints the different subjects scientific way of looking to that entirety so you're saying that the pupils will tackle a subject and then draw in the the maths and the um, writing essays about it and the physics and the chemistry and the social dimension or all that stuff and you'll bring all that together in a into a whole is that is that what you do that's exactly what we're doing. And, and it's part of the, the core curricula in Finland, which involves all schools in Finland. So if you look at a school timetable, you won't see physics, maths, Finnish, English. Is that right? No, you, you still, we still have the subject, but we also have the other approach, where, which combines the subjects together. So there, it's both and situation in the Finnish core curriculum. 
Oh, right. So when did that start? That started when the new core curriculum was taken into use, and that happened in 2016. All right. So that's something you've closely been involved in implementing then? Mm -hmm. Yes. And what kind of changes are you seeing in outcomes as a result of that? Is it too early to say? It's a bit too early to say, but what what is the kind of aim with it is that it is something that we want to strengthen the motivation of the pupils and students, that they see the connection to the real life challenges. Take, for example, the climate change, which is a really meaningful issue for young people today. The question that that you take into use in learning that concept and you bring the different kind of scientific facts to the same table and also you let the pupils to discuss the different ethical and value and opinions involving climate change. So what could be a better way of of kind of having a motivating learning happen in schools than this kind of an approach? Again, similar question to the one I asked you earlier. How's that been for the teachers in the schools? Has it been difficult to get them to work in this different way or have they accepted it? I guess it's a mixture, isn't it? Actually, it's been quite challenging because, as you might know, in Finland, we we have a very high qualified teacher force. All our teachers have a master's degree, and they they really are competent on their work, and they have also a lot of autonomy to do their work and develop their own work. But it has also meant that earlier our teachers were working alone. So their professional development and doing their work, there were no kind of sharing with peers and doing things together in the school community. And that is the thing that now we see changing, that that in order to have those projects, more holistic ways of teaching and learning, it must involve that the teachers themselves are collaborating in a much, much more uh, kind of stronger way. And again, we come to the question that it's an identity change, that how a teacher's work identity, what's it's all about? Is it a kind of a professional working alone or is actual actually the professionalism something that is between people? And, and that change has been quite challenging in, in in Finnish schools. Yes, I'm sure it is because it, it it means thinking fundamentally differently, I guess. And so so uh, are there, oh, yes that's the thing. I mean, do you teach complexity in, in schools? Uh not as kind of as a term we don't. But when we are talking about kind of the transversal competencies in those issues, the ideas behind complexity are actually touched. That and and it it involves a lot what we're talking 
earlier about understanding how the world works, uh, the kind of future li- futures literacy part, how the students and pupils, how they see that what future is all about. Is it kind of about planning one future that that you see that uh, will be happening? Or is it kind of opening up the possibilities, the different possibilities for the future, not planning, but kind of anticipating and and understanding the, the context, the changing context all the time. So these are issues that that are tackled in in in, in our schools. So the stories you're telling here, um, Finland seems to be quite advanced in this in complexity territory so um, we spoke about your complexity network and the the connections that you have within Finland could you just say a bit about how that works and and how you involve people in it and we've had this this uh, complexity network now for probably I would say three years and it kind of started just with people interested in the same issues to gather together and and these people come from different sectors of 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 the society so there are some people from the academic side from different universities for example there are people from the government side there are kind of think tank people uh, there are people from NGOs, from companies. Uh, what we do is we gather, uh, one of us kind of invites the others in and tells the stories that how complexity is involved in their everyday life and, and work. And then we discuss these issues together. And it, it's been very, very fruitful. And actually, now about a year and a half ago, we decided that we wanted to write a book about leadership in complexity, how complexity is changing the way that we see that what's the role of a leader. And that book will be coming out in two months' time. And, and we're very much very thrilled about it and hope that through that we can increase the awareness uh, still further in the Finnish society. So your complexity uh, network, does that include politicians, ministers, civil servants? Actually, I don't think at the moment we have in the network any politicians, but there are leading civil servants, there are CEOs, of of think tanks and, and 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 researchers kind of leading people from from ngos but at the moment no no politicians involved you were saying earlier that um you got the ministers uh, ministers together and they would understand they understand the basics of complexity would you say i would say so and then We've had training and courses for the decision makers in Finnish society. And, and I've myself given presentation, I would say that to more than a thousand 
leading decision maker in Finland about complexity. I would say that the majority of the of the decision makers are aware of these issues. The challenge is that how would I say the there's such a strong logic in the political system that it wakes makes it very difficult for the individuals to start looking at decision making from another perspective that kind of although the knowledge is there the action is not always there yeah it's it's difficult because the culture is built on this sort of reductionist scientific approach to things it's even if every individual understood it it would still be quite hard to change behaviors it's going to take a long time to do this i guess i totally agree with that and it's also has something to do that that the reductionism is in kind of so many other fields also and i'm now thinking about also the field of science that although the basic ideas about enlightenment had a very holistic principle behind them but still the different disciplines they are divided into smaller and smaller parts and and for that reason i've been very interesting for example with the concept of warm data no i'm not tell tell, tell us about warm data it's an author and a researcher called Nora Bateson, who has a Bateson Institute. And, 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 and it was, I think his father was one of the pioneers in the, in the kind of also systems and complexity thinking. And the idea with warm data is the idea that as scientific knowledge, uh, it kind of separates the, the the knowledge from the context because you want to make sure that it's kind of universal it's objective and you must be able to repeat the tests to kind of show that it is valid and the idea with warm data is that it brings back that knowledge to context and actually different disciplines knowledge packed to the context and it's all about the interrelationship and understanding those interrelationships between different scientific knowledge being used in a certain context so i I think there's a lot kind of yeah there's there's a lot of discussion in a sort of social change community about place-based uh, activity and that makes absolute sense is that every situation is different and you have to pay attention to the context as well as what's going on that that does make sense ollie pecker a little earlier you talked about uh talked about the fact you were writing a book Who, who's it aimed at well it's aimed at leaders and everybody interested in complexity and it'll be in finnish will it uh, when it's published now in two months' time, it will be in Finnish, and we have not decided anything about kind of making it available in other languages yet. 
I bet you there'd be quite a lot of people who'd be interested. There are lots of people in Canada who listen to the um, the Clock and the Cat. I'm sure you'll get plenty of people out there wanting to see it. So uh, if I can encourage you to get it um, translated into English, then that'd be absolutely fantastic. Yes, thank you. We'll consider that. So, Oli Pekka, thank you very much. We've heard about transforming national TV, some incredible experiments with major policy things like basic income, how you've been changing legislation in order to experiment, and what sounds like phenomenal teaching, if you'll forgive the expression. So this has been absolutely fantastic. I know it's going to be a a great episode and lots of people are going to be interested in it. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Well, thank you so much. I've I've really enjoyed it and, and I've been a keen listener of, of the earlier episode and I'm very proud of, of having this chance of, of taking part in, in, in this episode. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all ours. Thanks very much indeed.